I think that when you can create strong partnerships, you can do so much more, right? Because we can go further together if we can find the right people to partner with. What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. STR Nation, want to know how I gained $817,000 in equity in 19 months using none of my own money? Well, if you haven't already heard me talk about boutique hotels, I just recorded an 18-minute case study for my private mastermind group on how I bought a tiny 13-unit hotel in Rockport and more than doubled its value from $2.25 to $5.5 million in 19 months. But instead of keeping this one a secret, I decided to share it with you guys completely free. Just go to www.strsecrets.com hotels to access the case study and promise in just 18 minutes, you'll know why boutique hotels are my favorite STR strategy in 2023. I break down everything from the renovations, the location, the investment, the equity, the financing, and how to take advantage of forced appreciation. So when you have 20 minutes, go to www.strsecrets.com hotels. And now let's get into this week's episode. All right. What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, E? My brother. Good to see you. I um, We just finished recording an episode with Mark Simpson, went over all things AI, which was released last week. So if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen to it. I just have so many things spinning through my head right now in understanding all the different things that he kind of like walked us through, kind of talked about, and just, so I'm very excited to see him in Nashville and get to pick his brain. So it just, I don't know, man, super excited as always. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's such a great time to be in business and, and it just keeps getting better. Like since we started, you know what I mean? Since I started like doing vacation rentals 12 years ago, like I never thought any of this thing was going to be real possible, available, you know what I mean? And now it's, there's a plug into your Gmail that answers emails for you. Like, you know, I'm like, how awesome is that? I'm just waiting for the holograms, dude. Holograms will be here before you know it. It's like yeah. You open the door to check in. It's like, hello, welcome to your <laughs> next day. <laughs> Screw house manuals. Yeah. You have like a hologram yeah. that just shows yeah. you where everything yeah. is. Follows you around the house. <laughs> I'm going to call my Casper. <laughs> the ghost. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Oh, well, uh, let's dive in, man. Let's dive in. So we've got a we've got another female badass on the show today. Who's a referral through our, our friends over at GoBundance. So we've got Tamar Hermes uh, is a real estate investor, coach, author, speaker, and founder of Wealth Building Concierge, providing white glove service for women to invest in real estate and grow wealth without fear or overwhelm. As a child, she had no money and built her portfolio to eight figures while creating a life on her terms. Today, she helps hundreds of others do the same. Tamara believes that her childhood trauma kept her from making the money she desired. And she wants others to get past the limiting barriers that keep them from playing small when investing with more clarity, joy, and ease. She's the author of the three-time best-selling Amazon book, The Millionaire S Mentality, a professional women's guide to growing wealth through real estate. She's a contributing writer for Entrepreneur and Bigger Pockets and has been featured in Fast Company, BuzzFeed, and over 50 podcasts. 
She departed Go Abundance and was involved in leadership for two years. And uh, she owns six short-term rentals and a whole bunch of other good stuff. So without further ado, Damar, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, excited to have you. So quite the bio. Let's let's walk back to like square one. How did you get involved with real estate kind of at the beginning? And then how did that evolve into short-term rentals? Yeah, so I started out wanting to stop trading time for money like most, like many of us when we start realizing the dynamic we've basically been pushed into and bought a duplex in Los Angeles where I lived when I was 29 and then just started buying uh, single family homes and duplexes and building a portfolio that way. And once I had started uh, selling some of those properties and moving into passive investments, because over time they had appreciated quite a bit, and I uh, started moving into some passive investments. And then I went to visit my friend, Julie Gates in Savannah. And I said, show me your model. And when you're a real estate investor, you can look at a model and you can under, you understand the pieces and you can duplicate a model, you can do very well. And so she showed me one of her places and literally like three weeks later, I called her and told her, well, now I'm under a contract for a place. And uh, since then I've embarked on them because I absolutely love the fact that you can buy an appreciating market and cash flow and uh, also uh, that it has amazing tax benefits. So I'm all about the tax benefits. That's why I always stay active in real estate to keep my hours, to be, uh, to be able to get the, the advantages of real estate professional status. So that's kind of an in a nutshell. I want to pull that apart a little bit more. Yeah, so we got a lot in there. Yeah. So let's start with, so you bought one. Now you've got six and you've got a business partner. Walk us through kind of going from like one to six and then like what you guys are doing now with all the development stuff. Like kind of, I want to hear that journey. Okay, sure. Okay. So I actually have eight because I have two that are in the Smokies and those are actually ones that I bought with partners where I absolutely do nothing, but I own equity. I get cash flow. And we refinanced because we had purchased those before COVID. So now I have no no money in the deal, but I'm I have uh, equity and I also have cash flow. So those two are like you know just kind of easy peasy. Then uh, with the ones, then I have four that I have uh, that I bought on my own that I don't have a partner that well my husband, but they're pretty much just projects that I have. And uh, basically, I just found um, I liked I like this model of buying in a nice place in a nice neighborhood, but I also love appreciating markets. And you and I had a little conversation about appreciation and we definitely want to share the caveat. We don't buy for appreciation because we don't know what the markets are going to do. Although you can look at a market like Los Angeles and say, okay, well, over time, even when there's been big dips, Los Angeles has appreciated pretty well. So certain markets, even though I please don't buy in California, I'm definitely re not recommending that. It's a terrible place to invest um, because the it's not tenant friendly. But basically, I bought I bought in Austin, and so I feel like I'm getting the best of both worlds. And then the strategy that you were talking about with my partner, we are buying places in Austin again in East Austin, tearing down old lots and putting up prefabs, and then those are going to be uh, 30 day furnished rentals. So, and we're doing 30 days because we're regulated by the city and uh, we don't uh, want to get in any trouble. You never want the city calling you. It's not fun. Yeah. 
So walk us through what those uh, prefabs look like. So are you doing luxury prefab? Where are you guys getting them built? Walk us through all of that. Like, how did you guys get into that? So most of that was spearheaded by my partner. And this is one of the things I always say, I'm really good at getting partnerships and finding my strengths, which is something I recommend for everybody. Like, look at your strengths. Like, if you don't know how to do one thing, it's fine. Just find someone who does and then bring something else to the table. So those were, my partner got really involved in the strategy and the whole concept of modulars and uh, presented me with a couple of deals and asked me if I wanted to go in on them. And um, more, my, my role is more one being a financial partner and also doing more of the back end. In terms of the manufacturers, we've had a couple. I mean, there's always a training ground when you start a new strategy, right? So I'm sure for everyone listening, like that has several Airbnbs, like your first one, you're probably like, pulling your hair out and, you know, ready to jump out a window with all the things that you never thought of that can go wrong, all the things you didn't think to buy, all the details. So it's the same kind of thing. It's just that we're just doing it at a larger scale. We, you know, put money down on these lots, we tear them down, we get construction loans and uh, basically refinance them out. The first one is actually, we're days away from the refinance and we've been able to pull out all our money and it's it's pretty um, exciting. It's worked out pretty well, but it's been a, a long journey of learning. So let's, let's talk about the partnership. We don't have to get like super, super granular, but I see a lot of people, it sounds like this one's worked out for you. And that's why I want to bring it up because I see, I've seen a lot of people get into partnerships that have ended very badly. And I have my hypotheses as to why that is, but I'd love to hear from you being in a good partnership. How is that set up? Like what are kind of roles, responsibilities? How does that work? And yeah, just some feedback from you on why do you think it's working well? This is such a good question because I think that when you can create strong partnerships, you can do so much more, right? Because we can go further together if we can find the right people to partner with. Look at you and Manny. I mean, case in point, right? And so basically the way um, in this particular one, and I have several deals with different partners and we all get along. I always, I always get along really well with my partners. I know it's not always the case. In fact, oftentimes there are challenges. So I think the first thing uh, you said, roles and responsibilities, I'll get into that. But the first thing I would say is make sure that you are really following some criteria in terms of picking your partners. So make sure that you're aligned, that you have similar values, that you have similar ethics. Things like that are really important before you even get started on any roles and responsibilities, because otherwise you end up further down the line and then the true colors start to not match. And then it can get really, uh, really challenging. As far as roles and responsibilities, I mean, we just looked at, you know, what everybody's strengths were and then just really just kind of said, okay, you like doing this. It's also the other thing that we look at, and this is a really, this is a really healthy partnership where we can actually look at, hey, what do you like to do, Manny? You don't like to do this part. Okay. So I like doing that part. So I'll go do that part. And then you do the part that you like which it makes you even stronger, right? Because the parts you like are generally things you're good at and you're happy doing that. So we kind of, you know, did a checks and balances in terms of that. And then, uh, you know, also like in terms of fi finances, I mean, we're lucky, you know, we both have a good amount of uh, cash to 
to put into deals. So that makes it easier too. So we can be pretty even on uh, negotiations for that. It's not like, you know, if you're, if you're in a situation where it's like, oh my gosh, like if I give you this $50,000, it's going to make me really uncomfortable in terms of what my savings looks like. So you really need to have a situation where it's fine if one partner puts in more, one partner is doing more sweat equity, just make sure that it's a good combination and that it works for both people. So that's kind of how we work the checks and balances. That's why like I do a lot of the back end because I love dealing with people. I don't, I have a team in place to, to manage all the Airbnbs and I was really good at it. And for me, there's a system in place. And so I don't mind that. I work with designers that work really well so I can get that done. My partner does not want to do with any of that. He wants to do like the, you know, get the deals and keep going and keep going, get the deals and then, you know, get, get the money back and keep working on that. But we both do share a similar philosophy in terms of the way that we uh, like the Austin market. And I think that that alignment from the beginning was always kind of a thought process that we wanted to buy in the Austin market and keep as many properties as we can for the long term. Because as we know, we've all read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's all about that asset column. So when you keep the asset column over time, it tends to work out really nicely for you. Got it. Which is, I love that you said that because that was one of the questions that I was going to have for you is whatever or not you try to align on your exit strategy. Because I know one of my partnerships in life has been the one with John and me and John, one of the main things that we agreed on from the very beginning. And given we didn't have a lot of other conversation, maybe we could have, should have have. But one of the things that we did agree on was what is our exit strategy? And being in alignment in exit strategy, to me, has always been something that I share with people as to one of the most important things to have with a partner. 100%. Right? 100%. So yeah, do you guys have that conversation? So is your exit strategy no exit strategy? Or do you have a pre-idea of like, hey, once equity builds up to this much money, we have to sell? What happens if one of the partners wants to sell? Do you have that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, the strategy from the beginning uh, with, with these prefabs has been, hey, let's hold on to as many assets as we can in East Austin. We love it. We love the area. We feel like over time, it's going to just keep growing, going up. I mean, we may see some dips in the market for sure. We've seen some, we've seen some dips right now, but we're actually buying on the dip. So that's working to our advantage. And so it's pretty much, uh, let's keep as much as we can. And sometimes uh, we also have looked at some assets where we think, okay, well, it'd be great to kind of get this big injection of cash from this deal because we know we can exit at this. Why don't we sell this one? And uh, and then we'll do that. So it's pretty, we're like, we don't have a set in stone, but we logically talk about each deal and say, okay, what makes sense? You know, what are we willing to wager here? Because even mm -hmm. with all Airbnbs, you know, like clients ask me, and I'm sure you guys get this too, you know, people will say, well, how much do you think I can make on this? Well, we can do a lot of data on it and it, we can look and it can seem like, you know, from AirDNA and all our research, it looks like this is what we're going to make. And sometimes the best laid out plans don't work that way, right? So we just need, I think that one of the best things to do when you're a real estate investor, especially when you have partners, is to be somewhat flexible and have a couple of options where, you, you know, if plan if we like plan A of keeping them, but if plan A doesn't work, then we're willing to go to plan B. And if plan B doesn't work, we're willing to go to plan C. Yeah, no, I love it. And it's a very similar partnership that I have on my hotel deals where I'm the operator on the back end and my team runs all the operations and my two partners kind of drive the construction and the acquisitions and everything else. 
and then hand it off to me and my team and we just let it roll. But we have that alignment where, you know, something as simple as like the deal that we just closed, like a week after we closed, we got an offer from like a major hotel brand to like just buy it from us. And we were like, no, right? Because we were in alignment on like, we're, we we had a vision for where we wanted to take this and we're long-term buy and hold investors. And I love that. it would have been easy to take some quick money, but it's like, no, like we're in, we didn't even need to have a, it was a 20 second conversation. We're like, mm-hmm. no, like, yeah. no. You know, it's interesting. It reminded me of something early on uh, when I started this whole prefab journey. I remember my partner and I had a conversation. I remember something he said to me, and I think this is really key and something that everybody can listen to when they're looking at, at partnerships. And I bet you feel the same way too, Michael, which is that he looked at me and he said, I want to be your partner because I trust you. Like trust is a huge thing, isn't it? Right? Like trust is a big deal. You got to be able to feel like, you know, if things are going to shift, you have to feel like the other person's not going to do something that's out of alignment with what is it within your core values. Yeah. A hundred percent. Again, even from the very first hotel deal we did together, one, we already built trust because I had managed some Airbnbs for him and he's a developer. And then he found that deal and brought it to me, the first hotel. And our initial budget, our initial renovation budget was 200K and it ended up being 600K, right? Where it was just like, okay, this is going to go over budget based on what we initially thought after we found some stuff. At this point, are we in alignment that we're just going to go all in and make this the best product in the area? And then like, once we got on board with that, I was like, cool, like, here we go. But if it, if we weren't, if I didn't have the right partners and we got to that point and then they were like, whoa, like we had 200K, like we're done that project would have flopped because we wouldn't have been able to finish it. And it just would have went downhill really, really quick. So again, it's like, because I had built trust from previous things with them, they were like, all right, we trust you. Like kind of putting our butt on the line here with all this cash, but we trust you, you know what you're doing. And we just went, we just ran with it. So yeah, it's it's so important because the deals, like you said, like it was 200, it was, you know, and then it turned into 600. We had with this, with these two, two houses that we put on a lot, it was supposed to be done in like three months. Part of the reason why prefab is so exciting is because you can go faster. And the production was supposed to go really fast, but it was our first one and we ran into some issues. And you know, and it was 10 months and things kept kind of rolling, but no one got upset. Everyone understands, hey, you know, I get it. Like everyone's doing their part and there's certain things you can't do with the city or construction things that you didn't realize that were going to take place. So it's really important to have that trust and to also be flexible and understand that it is real estate investing. It's not, it's not going to be, if you want cookie cutter, then go stay in your W2 job. That's what I would say. Like, it's not going to happen. It's going to get messy and learn to love the mess. As soon as you love the mess or at least accept it, you're going to do much better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to kind of bring us to the other thing that you talked about. So you said you have six and then you have two, so eight technically, where you're just a passive partner. You took out all your money. So kind of walk us through that because I think there's people listening to the show that are maybe not in a position to actively take on another property themselves, but maybe they have some cash and they have somebody that like, hey, I am absolutely dying to have a chance to invest in this market. I have one or two units. I can find deals. So walk us through what that partnership looked like. How did you find them? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually a really funny story how I found these partners. And we're in a couple deals together. We've I've le- I've also um, done some lending for them where I I lend them money and for I think ten or twelve percent, and then they you know they paid me back. 
But these two deals, we actually went into partnership with. And I love the story of how I met them because I actually went to a meetup uh, several years ago and I met this kind of goofy guy, like sold Xerox machines. And he was really nice, you know, and he started talking to me and he was like, oh, you're in real estate. You should meet my friend, Jim. And I thought, you know, when you meet somebody, you always think like, wait, like, is Jim going to be this like kind of dorky Xerox guy, you know, too? And so I was like, okay, like, so, you know, part of it is just that I love people. So like, you know, I'll say yes more than I'll say no when it comes to meeting people. And so when I met him, he was just like really great. And he's in business with his, with his son and he had bought several properties. He was the CEO of a company before. So he knew numbers and we met and they were just getting started. Now, the thing that's great is like, if you can find, it's like a magic combination when you're looking for partnerships like this is when somebody has just enough experience where they're going to do well, but they don't have enough where everybody's just clamoring at them to get the money. So they kind of need you. And then you can make a better deal on the negotiation. Okay. So that was kind of what happened. I was able to get a great equity stake. I didn't have to put my name on the loans because I had several deals going at the time. And I, I said, I don't want to be on any other loans because you know, paperwork can be. So uh, I just set my terms, but I had money to bring to the table and I was, you know, willing to kind of be hands off because a lot of people, when they're doing deals like that, they're also looking for you not to micromanage them. They don't want you to call them every day and say like, well, what'd you do? Like what's happening? What's this? What's that? I mean, they want to be able to run the deal really slows everything down and it makes it kind of uncomfortable. So I was super hands off and I negotiated equity and I negotiated a percentage of the equity that I get back every month as the cash flow. And uh, the properties, you know, it was also timing because uh, we bought in the Smokies before COVID. So, you know, we did, we did pretty well on those. And then they actually, I didn't say, hey, do you want to refinance? They actually called me and said, we're going to refinance and get back most of the money out. And, um, you know, I just, I asked them about the terms of the deal. I would certainly always ask the questions to make sure like, okay, wait, what's your plan? And when they told me it sounded great. So uh, I was all on board with it and they did, they refinanced and we got our money back and now we're cash flowing a little bit less, right? Because our, we refinanced, so we took money out. So our loan's bigger. So walk me through now, right? So like now you, you guys are going into this more like development phase. What, what triggered that? Like what made you say, you know what, we're going to pivot and get into more of this like development prefab or was that more David that was like, Hey, I think this is where the better returns are going to be doing this, tearing these down. And like, how did that conversation come up? Well, that's a different partnership. So the partnerships that I have in the Smokies are totally different people. And so with this partnership with David, what he just came up with this idea and I really liked it. And so kind of just suggested, hey, you know, why don't I kind of get involved in this with you? And he was amenable. So, you know, and, and as far as why development, because, you know, when you're when you're at the the highest level of real estate investing, and you know this because you're doing hotels now. And that's what I mean. Like when you're starting to think big and you have big projects and you think scale scalability, you start to look also for opportunities where you can really make the biggest returns. So if you can tear down a lot and get it, you can get the lot at a discount and you can tear down the lot and then you can put back a prefabs for substantially less money than it would cost to build and substantially less time, then you're starting to look at some, some pretty good profit margins. So I think that that's kind of where it went. And then 
also in terms of uh, getting going deep into it is that again, on a scalability model, once you start, you want to go narrow and deep on something. You don't want to just be like, oh, I'll just do like one prefab, one this, one that, kind of a potpourri of everything because you never really get great at anything. And you also can't take advantage of some of the, the aspects of doing volume, right? Of doing bigger plays. So is the volume component because we, you guys with the prefab, so does that, the volume component come into play for you guys there because then you get to the houses for less. So it's almost like wholesaling, like you're buying 500 or 600 prefabs, so they come cheaper or, yeah. or where does the scale come from? I mean, the more, the more uh, opportunities you have, I mean, if you're going to do 100 houses, you're generally going to be able to negotiate a better deal than if you were just going to do one. So when we were talking offline, you were throwing around some, so how many did you guys quote unquote order or kind of like commit to getting to get those discounts? Like just to give people context, is it like two? Is it 10? Is it 50? It's, it's in the hundreds. I don't yeah. want, I don't want to say anything where he, I, I mean, he's not going to care. You know, it's like not a secret, you know, but it's, yeah. a, it's a lot. Like it's, it's hundreds. That kind of a discount. No. And that's, and that's kind of was where, where I was going. Right. Because we have a lot of people that are looking and I know a lot of people that are looking at like land, in different areas of the country and there is a lot of people with the glamping and the, and the, all these kind of things they're like dude this is a great opportunity for some prefab homes some small homes and like i love the idea and again i come from a place of i don't know what i don't know and i don't want to like miss miss encourage people or not encourage people to do it but i also want you to be super clear in the level of questions that you have to ask and the level of understanding so to me for example like i realized that early on i'm like I used to run to Target at the beginning of time and I would just go and buy all the white house. And I was just like, this is stupid. Right. And then I started buying them in bulk and I just kept buying them more and more. And then now with the management company and the rest of the thing, all of our properties are on, a, on our linen and towel program. Right. So like we can buy bigger and bigger bulk that gets cheaper prices for everybody. But at the same time, I remember having to cough up a ton of money to buy the initial inventory. So it's a very similar story, right? Because you can have a lot of projects. We have Will, which is a student in our boardroom that has plans to develop a kind of project across the country. It's going to look very similar. So he could have this conversation, but for people to understand, hey, to play this game, we, we're not talking about five, we're not talking about 10, we're talking in the hundreds, which is not to not encourage people or to scare people, but it's for you to kind of match the audio with the tape, right? Because it, again, it's everything is possible, but if you're thinking that you're going to get great discount prices and things are going to get built in three months, but then they get built in 12 months and you actually commit to buying 800 <laughs> other houses <laughs> afterwards, you're like, okay, maybe it's not as, as easy. You know, I love everything you said so far about choosing good partners and having good conversation, because I do believe that like with partners, one life can be a lot more fun. Like I've had great times with my partners and two, again, you share this vision, you share this, this kind of adventure. So I love that. Yeah. And also the other thing, going back to the prefabs, I don't know every prefab company in the country. I mean, you can make whatever kind of deal you can make. I just don't know. Um, you know, I can't say for sure. Oh, you need to have a hundred or 200. You might be able to find somebody again. There's that sweet spot. Like there might be somebody new that just figured out how to do prefabs. And you might be able to catch them right at that right time where you can start getting in with them. I mean, what about um, that guy, Rob Isolo, Isolo, the guy that's on Bigger Pockets now? I mean, he started 
you know, he did a prefab like what, four years ago, five years ago when he first started. And he managed to find somebody, you know, that was just some guy, right? And that guy, he, he always said, you know, that guy got so busy now, right? But he found him when he first started. So mm-hmm. it's like everything, like whatever your vision is, no matter where you're at, like don't get discouraged. Like just tr- start start having those conversations, start looking for people, but don't just think that uh, they're not out there. You just need to talk to people and start to figure out which direction you can go and let it take you. Just like, you know, my Xerox guy, he turned me, you know, he got me two properties with, with you know, with pretty good deal. I made a good amount of money on those. So we can... I'm going to ask something here and we can cut this out if we don't want to go this direction. But when I was going through your bio, talked a lot about trauma and how that shaped you into the person that you are now and got you to this place. And I know I've been through some shit in my life that when you come out of the other side of that, I believe that everything happens for us and for a reason. And when you're going through it, it sucks and you don't know why you're going through it. But those are the challenging, really tough, fucked up times are the times that shape us. So I would love to touch on that a little bit before we kind of wrap up, because there's, I'm guaranteed that there's some listeners just going through some shit right now. And they're just like, man, like I want to get to this level or like I'm just at a real type of a bottom and I'm just trying to figure out how to get out. So I would love to hear your perspective on that. A hundred percent. And I'm always happy to share that because it is our stories, our life. and. We all, uh, the first thing I want to say is I love that. I mean, I don't love that you went through shit, but I mean, the truth is I love that we're all, we really are all in the mix, you know, like nobody's kind of free from it. I mean, you know, I remember at one point, one of my daughters was saying, oh, I'm just so anxious. I'm really anxious. I was like, well, welcome to the world, you know? And I mean, you know, that's kind of, you know, I mean, things can get stressful. It's just how it is. And, uh, you know, some of us have been through more than others. And, and yeah, I just think that at a certain point, you're going to hit a crossroads where you're going to have to decide it's either going to be your life or it's going to be your story that you tell about, you know, why it was so sad and why it didn't work and why you couldn't and what prevented you. And the people that are resilient, the people that want a better life that badly, they will say, no way no way. And they will keep forging ahead. And I mean, all of us, I'm sure have fallen down pretty hard on, um, even after we got up a couple of times, right. It's not an easy road to, uh, create a life of financial freedom, to create a life of choices. And it's also the way to grow. And it's also the way to live a full life. It's also the way to get the most out of what you really want in your heart and to live who you really are it really is your right. It is your human right to be here and to live the life that you want. I don't think any of us on this call or anywhere is that much more special or different. I used to think that. I used to think people with money were special and that I just was born poor and that was the way I was supposed to be. But I realized, you know, we, we really do write our story ultimately. And so anybody that's listening that is feeling down, like we, we see you and we love you and we believe in you and we know you can do it. So, you know, whatever it takes, just get yourself up and get going. Love it. Love it. So before, before you get in the last question, first, I want to acknowledge you and thank you for coming on here and thank you for letting me go that direction at the end. Sure. Um, we didn't really plan on doing that, but I'm glad we did for a minute or two. But thank you again for coming on here and sharing your wisdom and your story. And um, we really appreciate it. So I'd love to hear more about this book, 
the millionaires, right? I, I misread that. So I want to make sure I get that right. Tell us a bit more about this book and then about all the other good stuff that you got going on before we get into the last question here. So I wrote a book called The Millionaires Mentality, and it's a professional women's guide to growing wealth through real estate. And the reason I wrote it was because I didn't feel like I had an easy time figuring out how to make money. And I felt also that when once I started making money, I was always sent to financial advisors and they would say, well, you know, they give you this big quiz and ask you, what's your risk tolerance? I mean, no one's going to say they want to lose money, right? So then they put you in things where you're making like 3%. And you start realizing over time that you're paying them 1% to 2% and they're making you 3% and you're realizing, it, this is going to be really slow road, even if I'm making a lot of money, it's not going to go very well for me, you know, and there's ways to make a lot of money in the stock market. I mean, over time I have made some money, but I just feel like it's volatile. I don't understand it. And it's also been proven many times that when you put your money in the stock market and you pay somebody to like move things around and move and shake it and do a dance, they end up making pretty much the same as somebody like if you just took your money and put it in the S&P 500 or in Vanguard index. So it's like, wait, what am I doing? So I wrote this book really to show all the ways that you could invest in real estate and also particularly for women, because I feel like it's harder for women because it hasn't been a women's world for uh, very long where we could vote, where we could show what we were capable of, where we could have great partners, where we could rise together. And I feel that we need to stand together. And the more women that share their voice, and that show the path, it gives more opportunity for more women to find their way and then they'll share their path and then we'll continue to grow. So I really want men and women to grow, but I particularly had a soft spot for women. I felt as a, as a child, I felt particularly weak because even more so because I was a woman, because I didn't, I felt that I didn't have the strength. And, you know, physically we, we also are, we're not as physically strong as men most of the time. I mean, there's some, there, I know some women that could kick your guy's butt, but most of them couldn't, you know, so there is some psychological stuff going on too. So anyway, that's, that's the book. You can get it at, if you just go to tamarbook.com, you can go there and then you get free gifts and all kinds of things. And you can order the book and there's a link to Amazon and the audible book. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming on. And the last question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals? Mm. Oh my God, there's so many. It's such a landmine. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, the number one secret to success is to figure out how to do the booking. And I didn't realize how actually hard it was because I had a booking agent and then for real estate professional status, I decided that it was important that I took it all back. And it is very challenging to understand how to do the numbers, how to charge, what to, you know, how to bump up the SEOs, how to get five-star ratings all the time. It really is all comes down to that, to me, the booking and the numbers. I think that's the hardest part, really. Okay, cool. It's all pretty, you know, there's definitely a lot of challenges, but for me, that's been the hardest because I feel like once you, once you figure that out and you can get the bookings, then it's a lot easier for me to make somebody happy once they're there. It's just, you got to get them into your place. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, Tamar, thank you so much for coming on here. Really appreciate it for our listeners out there. Have an amazing week and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Ciao guys. 
Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.